Howdy. Hello. This is uh, The Fight Site. We're on our new YouTube channel. If you're listening on podcast apps, make sure to go to YouTube and look up uh, The Fight Site Presents. I'll put a link in the description of the podcast as well. Basically, the algorithm didn't like that our videos were all different lengths on the original channel. So now we have a separate channel for things that are longer, like panels and uh, some other stuff that is coming up soon that I'm excited about. So keep an eye out for that, but make sure you subscribe to the new channel if you haven't. Yeah, this is uh, one of our roundtable prediction panels. We got a nice little cast of characters here. Uh, myself, Ed Gallo, um, the owner of the fight site, MMA analysis, uh, wrestling analysis. And we also have a few other people. So, Ben, who are you? You're, uh, you're arch enemy. Yes. I hate you, Ed, and I, yes. uh, I'm going to destroy you. The Jews are natural enemies of, of each other. That's actually true. It is known. We have this other guy in, in my bottom left corner uh, with his nice fresh haircut. Uh, how you doing, Iggy? Hello. I still exist for whatever reason. So I guess that's that. How might they know how you? What do you, you do? Uh, I write articles once every, uh, whenever planets align. And uh, I host Tengridome also from time to time. And uh, uh, so I do some other things for the websites. I'm, 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 a, I'm on staff. So <laughs> we got another guy who's on staff here, Dan Albert. You might remember him from some of our other panels, and he's got some some good content cooking up. And I think his first official article as a staff member was about Sandy Sadler. So if you like boxing, Muay Thai, MMA, smart guys talking, this is your guy. What do you, what do you want to say for yourself? I'd like to say for the record that I did nothing wrong and that's it at any point. Well, that's not true. All right. So we're going to get into this. So this round table is about UFC 260 specifically about Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou uh, to some people, maybe not an interesting fight. And I would understand because we've seen it already. And it's really just about are things different this time? Will it matter if things are different? That is really the question. Uh, at hand, but we're not going to be that lazy. We're going to talk about it actually. Uh, and the format for this panel, I'm reminding the, our listeners, but I'm also reminding our panelists because they forget every time. I've never had someone not screw it up. So we're going to try to get it right this time. But basically, we're going to speak about each fighter individually. And then after we've all done that, we're going to speak about the matchup itself and make our predictions. So it's three rounds of, of speaking. Uh, so first, we're all going to talk about Stipe. And then once that's done, we're all going to talk about Francis Ngannou. And then when that's done, we're going to do the predictions. And this way, the speaking is evenly distributed and we uh, get to set the scenery before we get into our matchup predictions. It's just a nice way to cover a lot of ground. And uh, some some fights deserve this level of discussion. This fight might not, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, afterward, we're going to talk about the co-main event, Tyron Woodley and Vicente Luque. We're not going to do that full treatment, just kind of discussing it generally. Uh, and same same deal for Thomas Almeida versus Sean O'Malley. And I am going to uh, say O'Malley instead of Almeida and vice versa a million times because I did that earlier today on my podcast. So I'm going to screw everything up. Um, okay, so the order of speaking, very important. I'm going to go first just because of the order our screens are in and a special request by Dan Albert to be the first one to speak about Francis Ngannou. So I will begin the discussion on Stipe Miocic, then it will be Ben. And it'll be Iggy, and it'll be Dan, 
going last on Stipe, then he'll start on Francis, and then we'll go back around. Does that make sense to everybody? Is anyone confused? Seem these feel like simple directions, but every every time, man, every time. So we'll see how we screw it up this time. All right, so Stipe Miocic. Uh, I'm not going to do a full lengthy breakdown of him as a fighter, uh, but I think as far as heavyweights go, he's good. He, he's technically good. He's a great athlete. He's been around for, for a decent amount of time now. Uh, I remember when he first came into the UFC, I, I immediately paid attention to him because uh, he wore the Crow Cop shorts and he had won a fight via low kick TKO before he came into the UFC. Ben, is that disapproval toward me or something else? It's not responding. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> Ben's making crazy faces. Uh, so I thought, okay, here's a good athlete. He can move. Uh, he low kicks. I knew he was a division one wrestler for Cleveland state before this. He was actually pretty good. And uh, he decided to choose baseball over wrestling. He was actually ranked in the nation. Uh, didn't, didn't place the NCAAs, but was, was a solid contender. Probably would have become an all American if he stuck around all four years. Said chose baseball. Baseball didn't work out because of an injury, started fighting, started boxing, and it all picked up from there. So he came into the UFC as a guy with like functional boxing, an active kicking game, a great wrestling base, athleticism, durability, everything you want uh, in a prospect, really. And, and he looked pretty good. He was putting people away. He was aggressive. And he, he took his lumps for sure. Uh, you know, the, the lengths of his death were exposed. And also what happens to him when you poke him in the eye was exposed first in the Stefan Shrew fight. Not, I'm not even talking about the Daniel Cormier fight. Uh, Stefan Shrew beat him after a series of eye pokes. And also, I think it was just a tough fight and he's not super great defensively on the back foot and Shrew pushed him back. But he's developed into, into a great champion, one who knows how to push weaknesses when he finds them uh, and one who has the physical gifts and, and the skills to, to leverage that. Uh, I think of him these days as someone who has developed a lot of ability as an outfighter, as a boxer. You see it a lot. And that's kind of what makes him stand out as a heavyweight technically uh, that he actually slips punches and he can actually like move laterally. And sometimes he'll move out to an angle and he can counter punch and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Um, he can actually like shoot to the legs for when like chain his wrestling together and do a lot of impressive things. Uh, so there's a lot of skill depth that isn't there for other fighters and he's tough as hell. Uh, he's taken almost every punch anyone's ever hit him with. And that's not a great thing. Speaking of his defense, uh, sometimes he's a little static, but uh, he's got a great chin. His durability is held up in almost every fight. And uh, he is, he has beaten his current challenger, Francis Ngannou. So I don't have too much to say, but I will say that even when his technique starts to break down or he forgets how good he is and decides to be a different kind of fighter, uh, he is good as his second type of fighter. He uh, his, his mind slips away sometimes and he goes into what might be considered his B game, which is pressuring hard and being kind of a, a stubborn chin bully. But he's good at that, too. So he has a lot of different ways he can win fights, some of them safer than others. Uh, and I, I think highly of him and I really expect his career to, to be uh, received well when it's all over. And I, I, I'm feeling pretty good about him and I appreciate him. He's also a hell of a guy. Uh, so that's my, my overall <laughs> thoughts on Stipe. I'm not going to get too deep into specifics, but uh, Ben, what do, what do you want to say about Stipe and the Ochoch? Um, Yeah, I, I'm actually a, a massive fan of Stipe as a fighter. I, I really have a ton of respect for him. More so, I think, than most. I think he's one of the few heavyweights that we had as an example that we could say is a good fighter, uh, purely as a good fighter. Uh, I do apologize if you hear my son saying daddy in the background. It's nice. Um, it's cute. It's, yes, it is. 
Um, now Rissy's going to quiet him. Uh, so I, I think that like Fedor, he's just an actually great, really good fighter in a division that kind of sucks. So it's really important to, to say that. Um, uh, that being said, he's also what, like 38 years old. He's had a really long career. And I think he's also visibly slowing down. Now, uh, from a technical perspective, like you said, he's actually a, a fighter who does put an emphasis. He's one of the few heavyweights that we see that has a uh, pretty decent outfighting game. And that's something that separates him from other fighters. Excuse me. Um, and I think that's also going to be something he won't necessarily be able to use that much. Uh, well, no, we'll talk about that later. Uh, when it comes forward, I think that's something. I think that's something that's also really important to mention is that, like you said, he comes. He becomes kind of a chin bully, right? When he's off the back foot, right? He's going to actively try to move his head. He's going to actively try and defend against strikes that are coming against him. He has some decent footwork to to get around the cage and avoid uh, being put into bad spots in general. When he's coming forward, he gets kind of sloppy. We saw him get dropped to get, uh, against Alistair Overeem, for example, when he was coming forward uh, stupidly. Uh, way back to the JDS fight, he kind of was getting caught really badly uh, in, in those exchanges as he was coming forward. Um, uh, to Danny Cormier fight, the first one, he also looked kind of uh, sloppy coming forward. And I think that's something that it is uh, important to note, that his defense, while, while off the back foot is is quite good specifically for a heavyweight coming forward it's especially static to use the word that you used um when it comes to his his non-striking game uh his wrestling and his uh, and his and his top control uh well his wrestling i'm sure ed you already discussed and that but he tends to his i would say his best takedown is his snatch single leg where he gets that single leg but he also has a pretty decent blast double which he actually utilized to great effect in the uh, first Ngano fight, he would he caught a few blast double legs on Ngano um, as Ngano was coming forward. So his actual wrestling isn't just good for heavyweight. He seems to, like you said, be a really good wrestler in general. Uh, his top control is fine. Uh, he's he's not fantastic. Um, Dan, I just read the chat. He's not amazing. Uh, his ground and pound is actually pretty, pretty, pretty bad like good bad in a bad way for his opponents um, nasty it's nasty yeah his ground pound is actually quite nasty his top control is fine um he really did have a hard time controlling uh nganu and other okay heavyweights when they were on their back uh mark hunt was probably his most prolific uh ground fighting performance but mark hunt's also <laughs> it's mark hunt he's not gonna look good off his back um uh so his control on the ground is kind of not the greatest. He isn't really that great from a technical perspective in, at holding people where he wants them to and, and keeping them down. And Ngana was able to get up a bunch of times uh, because of that. Now, granted, like I said, his ground pound can be pretty nasty, but that's when he kind of feels like he has really strong control. Um, so I, I think that that's something that should be noted is that while his wrestling is a really really key factor here and it was a key factor in their first fight um it, it if he he needed to really he needs to show some new wrinkles i think there because when we get to gano it'll matter but if Ngano improved he's going to need to show a bit more uh, ability when it comes to actually controlling uh Ngano. um he's a chin bully we you mentioned that but he's also kind of a cardio bully bully for heavyweight 
uh, that dude can go even when he's tired and still push a pace. We saw it in DC uh, three. We saw it in the Agano fight because he was dead tired in that first Agano fight by the end of it. So was Agano, but he was also dead tired and he still was able to push past that. And I think that, uh, forgive me, it's his immigrant mentality. Uh, <laughs> I had to. Um, I really think that that is, is probably his best asset here between his, uh, uh, with everything, because we do know that he can go five rounds. We don't know that Ngano can. So if it comes down to it, and, and we're talking about Stipe, we have to know that he's trying to pull this deeper into the fight. There's no way he's going to be looking to finish this quickly. Um, if I were him, I would play, if we were just game planning for him, I would say just try and get Ngannou to come forward. But uh, overall, as a fighter, I think he's an extremely well-put-together fighter for a heavyweight, but also as just a general fighter um, with, like you said, an A game and his B game of that pressure. Um, he's versatile. He's relatively smart for a heavyweight as well. Um, I know that he kind of had that puzzling uh DC two and three situation where he didn't start hitting the body until the third round in the second fight. And then stopped hitting the body by the third round in the third fight, which was completely inexplicable. But I mean, overall, I think he tends to be a pretty smart fighter. And also his camp tends to come up with decent game plans. Those DC fights, that second DC fight aside. So yeah, I think he's the greatest heavyweight, obviously in UFC history and arguably with arguably above Fedor. Um, so, yeah, that's my take on Stipe. Good takes. How about you, Iggy? Stipe, what do you think about well, him? Well, uh, most of the things about Stipe that are pretty much obvious have been already stated, so I'm not going to prattle on about that. But one thing about Stipe that needs to be said is that, uh, well, uh, uh, I think it goes unmentioned uh, a lot of the time is that he doesn't actually really a f- even a full-time professional fighter and that he's actually also a full-time uh, firefighter. So instead of fighting people, he fights fire a lot of the time instead of actually training for fights. So that's uh, maybe one of the reasons why people see this quote, like, I don't know, something of a decline in the later in, in the current days because well obviously he's getting older and uh, he's uh, slowed down quite a bit but uh, also that may be also some uh, a result of him just paying more attention to his real life as opposed to his life in the octagon so there is that and uh, he may have uh, came in with uh, may have taken this particular fight more seriously because it was one of the more grueling fights he's ever had, the fight with Ngano the first time around. So, uh, but that's that's a topic for later, and I'm not going to ruin it for everybody else right now. And uh, yeah, and one thing that uh, has to be said about Stipe's attributes is that not only is a, is a for heavyweight, he's a cardio machine, and uh, with a, an all-time great chin, he's also a massive puncher. And uh, he hurts, finished most of his fights by knockout. But then again, everyone at heavyweight is a massive puncher. But Stipe also util- actually utilizes his power in an intelligent way, as opposed to many other fighters at heavyweight, uh, which is a big factor. 
And uh, for what do we mean? I mean, what do we mean for heavyweight? We always say that for heavyweight, he's a good. For heavyweight, he's like, he's good, but for heavyweight, always this. Don't give away your whole next article. Yeah, I won't do that. But uh, <laughs> I mean, to touch upon it briefly, uh, as as you may have already noticed, we don't really exactly hold heavyweight as a division in, in, in all that high of an esteem at, at the fight side, which is something we share with other many other analysts, such as, for example, Heavy Hands or Jack Slack. And the reason is simple. It's that heavyweight is not exactly a very deep division. And the reason for that is that, I mean, the talent pool is just a bit shallow. And uh, oh, I suppose... I mean, it's a it's, it's a topic in itself. I, uh, I shelve it for now. <laughs> we may discuss it when we actually get into the matchup dynamics and all that stuff. I think he's passing it off to you, Dan. Yeah, Dan. Okay. Uh, all right. So, oh, what we mean usually by for a heavyweight. Um, I want to add on to it. So I think we were reminded recently through Blakovitz, Adesanya, that often kind of different divisions have sort of different rules. And um, I was talking about this with Haxerized a few weeks back because I wrote a short piece on my little blog called Why Steve Amiocic Matters. And my theory on how a heavyweight works is essentially it's very an attributive based division, as in it's mostly about like how physical you are how powerful you are and how durable you are like the main tenets of it. And so that means inherently certain like technical developments are going to be like secondary because you ideally at heavyweight can knock everyone out, but you can also potentially be knocked out. So that kind of focus on an orthodoxy of like toughness and just being powerful is kind of more of a focus. So that's kind of why you see some stagnated development throughout and so why Stipe Miocic matters more than anything else, or Miocic, according to some people, is that he's the guy who has consistently faced like guys who have greater attributes than him, but consistently he has beaten them and created different ways to beat them. Now, there there's still lots of issues with Stipe's game, specifically like some of his defensive things, because I think one of Stipe's primary issues is he tends to focus on offense or defense, but not like a mix between them sometimes from the way I see it. So you'll see him, for instance, get backed up and his instinct is either, well, I got to throw, but he doesn't prioritize like a certain like defensive angle. And so you'll see in like the DC fights, for instance, like his clinch defense, especially off the breaks is horrific. And that's usually where he gets clocked a bunch. The other thing is he just often, you're welcome. Uh, anyways, <laughs> the whole idea of Stipe, I think, is he consistently, like, finds – you're welcome. He consistently finds ways to win in certain regards where it kind of feels like other heavyweights wouldn't do that. So, against one thing about Stipe that I really, really want to touch upon, and this is more of, like, a total – this is more of a hypothetical kind of opinion of mine. So pre-DC3, I thought about this for a while. The big question is, why, Stipe, did you not throw to the body in that second fight and instead engage in some stupid drunken brawl instead? And how I thought about it was, 
what if Stipe's whole team was basically like, we're not going to really focus on strategic prep because you have a bit of a technical edge over everyone in terms of like ideas. And instead you kind of just figure out what works best. And then you just exploit that. And what kind of led me down that path more so was when I rewatched both JDS fights and both uh, DC fights. And what made me think that was, so fight number one with JDS, he's like, I'm going to pressure you. Oh, and then fight number two, he's like, well, I'm going to take away those extraneous things that didn't work. I'm going to take away the bunch of the wrestling that I did to push you against the fence. And I'm just going to attack your body to set up those level changes. And it worked a lot more or without absorbing stupid damage in the process. Um, against DC, DC is a more complicated topic because I think the thing about Cormier is although like Cormier has a lot of things that are worth criticizing, Cormier is also the guy who consistently is a stupidly athletically faster, but he's also one of the few guys Stipe has fought who is really underrated in terms of craft. He has weird choices, but he's one of the only guys I think Stipe has ever fought who's willing to mix things up. So, oh, in rewatching the second and third fights in particular, it's like, I don't think Stipe relatively figured out how to hit the body and realized, hey, this worked until it, oh, it's like, well, I can out-tough you. Nope, that didn't work because DC is durable as hell. And then it's like, oh, hey, this body shot worked. I'll do it again. Hey, it worked. And so then you go into the third fight and he starts doing a little few things differently. And I think my theory on why he stopped doing the body shots in the third fight is I think Cormier was trying to jab with him. And I care because I'm an idiot. Um, I think Cormier constantly was trying to counter him. And I think what we kind of do forget is part of the reason those body shots worked so well in that second fight is because they spent like 20 minutes beating the shit out of each other beforehand too. Um, so I, I kind of thought to myself, the body shots themselves in fight three, I assume the reason he gave them up and, and this is just a total guess is that I think he decided what if, I can control him and absorb all that damage because it feels like if I go too close, I'm just going to get hit more. So I think like, I think Stipe thinks about things in ways that like you don't see other heavyweights do, but I think he just has certain decisions that leave something to be desired, like defensively and whatnot. Um, I, I think he's just weird strategically. I think he's, he just kind of does like something is like, I think this works best for me. So in DC three, it's like, well, I can just draw you into right hands on the back foot and not take stupid amounts of damage. Like I did last time. And it technically worked, but I mean, I, I can't confirm that. I will agree. I think he looks slower. I think he, um, my TV is not on, but thank you for asking. Um, I, I don't think he's necessarily as fast as he used to be. I don't think he, he's as powerful. But I think, like, he, he's kind of I, – I think it's hard to tell where he's at until we kind of see it, you know? But that's how I feel about Stipe. I think, like, until I see, like, certain things go wrong, he's just going to have problems. And that's really it. Just uh, for, for the listeners who have no idea why we keep speaking into the void, 
it's because part of these panels is that we all type in the chat at each other and try to make people laugh and distract the others. It's it's part of part of the game, uh, which adds nothing to the listening experience for you, but it's fun for us. So that's why we do it. Um, so yeah, so if, if you hear anything weird, mind your own business. All right, Dan, uh, you, you have the floor once again to talk about Francis and Gunn. I mean, you're very excited about this. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Okay. So, um, so I think uh, the big question with Nganu is how long is his tour to Bop continue? And my whole thing with Nganu is, and everyone's on this page is like, did you improve? And I think understanding that is like understanding that Nganu is like trying to be a counterpuncher, except he's kind of bad at it because he doesn't really know how to draw out reactions in order to set things up. So it's like, Hey, I want to counter you with this uppercut. Should I use a throwaway jab to get that to work? No. And whatnot. Um, I think, though, he does like to try things, though. And I think, although the last like few fights have been relatively underwhelming, there are like three specific things I have kind of seen a little more from him. Uh, the first is like, I think he's trying to develop like a more active lead hand. Because I did notice this against Blades and JDS. He's using, like, certain throwaways more to, like, draw out some reactions. I don't think he knows how to, like, build upon them or use them yet. But if he gets that down and is able to set up his counters through that, he's going to be way more successful. Because guys are already afraid of engaging with him. And guys are also just consistently kind of nervous about trading with a guy who apparently, like, hits, like, some truck or something. I don't know. The second weird development is like he started kicking a little bit more and against JDS, you kind of see it and they're kind of naked and how they're set up. But against like blades, there's one that he masks it through like a lead hand and he kicks it. So I don't know if you can use that as a precedent, but if that's like something that he's going to keep doing, that is worth paying attention to. Oh, and the third and final thing, and this is the most important of all he has begun to incorporate something that I've never seen any other MMA fighter do. And I think this is really important. He has implemented a clothesline. And when you really break it down, here's why this is important. Because the reality is you don't see a lot of fighters like introduce like professional wrestling into their <laughs> game. Hey, this is why this is important. Brock Lesnar, for instance, was very successful. Where did he came from? He came from a professional wrestling background. He beat a dead man in there. Or I think, I don't know. But point is, is Nganu can do this masterful crap now. So if he can do a clothesline, a.k.a. the Boss Rutten special, because Boss Rutten was ahead of his time eight years ago with this shit, and nobody listened. Well, who's laughing now? And my a whole quote, plan, the man himself, a clothesline is like a leg kick to the head. <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, my brilliant plan is to pair Nganu up with certain professional wrestling experts, and he's going to start incorporating new things. Collar ties to Stone Cold Stunners, for instance, and so on. Other things I'll think of later because I don't watch fake sports. But the point I'm saying is this clothesline shit is Stipe prepared to deal with that? He has put out fires, but is he ready to take the full force brunt of a 10 count? Because we might a, get to the point where the whole ref and crowd are against him. You think they brought back the crowds? 
Bones just for the sheer audience value? No, man, they're bringing it back for the fix. I am so stupid. Um, anyways, I lost track of the rest of the joke that I was going to do. But anyways, ignore everything I said for the last two minutes. Um, yeah, that, that isn't actually a real development, but. Okay, back back to Iggy on, on Francis Ngannou. Hopefully it makes more sense than that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that happened. What did we just witness? Uh, well, I guess it was the verbal equivalent of a Nagano fight. So, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Nagano is uh, uh, Nagano is Nagano. What else to say about him? Uh, basically, simultaneously unknown and also an unknown quantity, because we all know what his power is. It's his hitting power. That's, that's basically it. That he was just a massive puncher. That's, all, that's his whole game. He just runs at people. Or either he just stands there, psychs people out, and they run at him, and then he bonks them. That's it. And the main, the main question is whether he's actually added things to his game, because... I mean, when you think about it, the only thing he really needs to succeed is just maybe try and jab a little and make Miocic duck onto an uppercut on something, or maybe uh, anything, something. Because what cost him the fight the first time around was that he basically just tried to run, tried to tried to run at Miocic, and Miocic just essentially punched him a little and punched him up a little and then took him down that's it and that was the whole fight and uh, he may succeed if he does that i mean uh, again we're fucking up the format this is this is this uh, went off the rails from the beginning who who cares (laughs) (laughs) who cares at this point uh yeah i mean Again, as already stated, tries to be a counterpuncher. He he tries to time people coming in, but he doesn't really necessarily rely on timing as much as people just basically doing stupid things to, to just baffling decision making on part of other on part of his opponents, where they just throw themselves wildly out of position and then he clatters them over the head with a with whatever it is he throws mostly bowler punches and weird overhands that come from all sorts of angles while he himself just skids around on, uh, across the octagon as if he's on ice skates. So, uh, I mean, I guess his uh, takedown defense may have improved somewhat because allegedly all he does these days is, to, is train his wrestling, but he we never saw that. Like, what uh, instances where you can point out, oh, he does things. You can't exactly say that because over the last two years since that fight, his um, the octagon time chucked out at maybe three minutes, maybe less. So you you can't exactly say things about him. What we've learned nothing since that fight. So uh, this is what we have to deal with here. <laughs> Uh, I guess this is <laughs> this is it for me for now. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, Ben Francis Ngannou. How do you what do you think about him? Um, he big and punch hard. Um, mm-hmm. 
That's it. No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Uh, like like uh, Iggy said, he, he's apparently been training nonstop wrestling, so that's a complete unknown. We really don't know what to expect there, and I'm not going to pretend to. Um, one thing that I do want to point out is that when he did fight Curtis Blades in the rematch, uh, the takedown defense and the uh, the thought process behind how he was defending those takedowns was actually really really good. Um, when he when he when he first defended the initial shot, he was he did a really good job of getting that underhook and then circling uh, uh, and pivoting out so that his hips were no longer in front of Curtis for any sort of reshot. Uh, after rocking Curtis, Curtis did try to grab a leg and rather than just stand in front and sprawl and then hit from the front like a lot of uh, far better fighters technically will do uh, in better divisions, he actually was circling to the back to get out of the way of any sort of possible attempt for Curtis to really get control of a leg. And he was also able to land like free shots essentially and just really just clobber the shit out of Curtis. Uh, So while we haven't seen much of his wrestling defense, what we do see, at least on the initial line of takedown defense, he does have a clear understanding of what he's supposed to be doing and what he's not supposed to be doing. Uh, And that's important because if his first line of defense is good enough to at least fend off shots in the beginning of the fight while he's still fresh, that's going to probably mess with Stipe because if I remember correctly in that first uh, Miocic fight, um, uh, Stipe shot within the first like 30 seconds yep. granted it was because Ngana was coming at him like an absolute maniac so his was wide open for a reactive double but if if Ngano at least has gotten his first level of takedown defense to the point where he really is good at uh, defending single legs and double legs uh, and, and separating that's a really important factor alone because he is going to have such a physical uh, advance phys- uh, so many physical advantages over Stipe uh something else to mention and i think it is actually important because he does seem to really have mattered in his subsequent fights ingano did come in really fucking heavy for that first steep fight he was a good 10 to 12 pounds heavier than he was throughout his whole uc career prior and after um he does seem lighter on his feet you know 10 12 pounds down and that matters when you're already walking around it's such a huge heavily muscled man like that matters. That's 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 a lot of weight to be shedding off of yourself, and it's going to add uh, endurance to him. And we did see that in the first in the first fight with Curtis Blades. That fight didn't end right away. I think that was two rounds, and he didn't look gassed. He didn't look especially tired. And I know that because when I was first analyzing this fight, uh, uh, the the fight before the first Stipe fight, one of the things that people were talking about, oh, he's definitely going to gas. So I looked at the longest fight. I'm like. We only have one example of him going a long time and he didn't gas so bad. Yeah, he was tired, but like he probably should have about seven minutes of fighting him at least. And he did. He had roughly seven minutes where he was able to push back against Sipe and then. Well, to come back to that, uh, him coming in heavier, there was also a bit of a psychological factor in there, uh, according at least to Francis Ngannou himself, that he didn't actually take the fight all that seriously because he was convinced that he's just simply going to knock Miocic out and didn't prepare correctly. And apparently he's had some sort of a falling out with his coach, who he prepared uh, for his pre- all his previous fights before that. And apparently he just, basically all he did was just hit, hit the heavy bag and lift weights. So no fight camp, no proper fight camp there. Maybe he'll take it more seriously this time around, which also may play a significant role. Oh. 
uh, yeah, you can have it back. Well, no, that's fine. And I think that was actually pretty important to mention because he did have a falling out with his coach and he did drop him after that. I don't know if it was after that fight or after the Lewis fight, but um, he definitely had that falling out with his coaches. And uh, by all accounts, uh, I think he's training with uh, Eric, Eric Sick. Uh, Nick Sick. Nick Sick, right. So that's actually a hell of an improvement of a coach, right? Uh, uh, shout out to Dan's friend, right? Um, not you, Dan, the Dan, Dan Tom. Tom. Uh, so by all accounts, he's definitely taking this seriously. He understands exactly where he was, you know, where he really needed to improve. Um, I'm hoping that we're going to see a, a, a better strategy coming into this fight because something, you know, like he, like he said, he's starting to use that lead hand more uh, in the first fight. Uh, in the third round, he actually rocked Stipe pretty hard with a left hook to uh, over, uh, not an overhand right, but kind of like a looping right hand combo that pretty badly hurt Stipe. And then he fucked it up by running at Stipe and getting taken down. If he could like take those moments where he hits Stipe clean and not go stupid crazy with it, he might just be able to like kind of hurt Stipe to the point where he won't be able to recover or grab those takedowns because he's going to keep his distance. I don't know. Well, he's been doing that more and more before the, I know we love to meme about the Rosenstrike KO, but he did throw a jab to the body on purpose and a right hand to the head right after that. So it seems like he is working at least on small combinations to try and set up his big right hand. Um, he did it in the JDS fight. Those leg kicks, if he could start to, if even if he can't incorporate them well, at least it's something. Uh, if he can show those small improvements and keep doing that i i i it's that's awesome i'm looking forward to that uh but as a fighter overall i think in one attribute that doesn't get mentioned enough about him is he is we talk about stipe's toughness and gano's chin is ridiculous the shots he ate from stipe clean i think it was i don't remember was it the i think the first round where he ate like six punches to the jaw in a row standing completely square with his hands down, chin like duh, 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 duh. like just it, it just, was genuinely was... a vicious beating he took from Stephen Miocic and yeah. it, it's done a number on his confidence early on, but uh, physically he was basically fine. Yeah. And uh, if so, again, if he can improve his cardio, he already has the toughness to take the shots of Stipe. Obviously it's heavy weight. Anybody can get knocked out. Caveat, caveat, caveat. Um, I mean, I, I think that He's a fighter that unfortunately could have been so great had he had the right coaches going earlier on, I think, right? Like if he was able to kind of like, like imagine if he was just like training with Trevor Whitman from early on in his career, right? Well, like it's a, it's a bit of a, like a, kind of a Rocky Marciano type situation in that he came in super late. He was already 30 by the time he started training in MA, I believe. Maybe a bit younger, no, but still. He's only like 32. 33 no well his career was extremely short so he's basically he just started he basically right just now. started started training mma and then he was already in the ufc and on the, on the on the fast track to his the first, title shot his first fight was in 2013 so he's already been a pro for about seven years eight years mm, well he was certainly well over 20 then, uh, he would have been, then yeah he would have been about 26 yeah yeah so starting late and uh, with enormous physical gifts and so therein lies the question of what do you do to improve him because 
trying to ingrain some sort of like uh, extremely technical, technically efficient game in him may just about ruin the, what made him special in the first place. That is his extreme physical, extreme physicality. So, uh, but then again, what they did with Rocky Masiano was basically just make him fight bums once every other week uh, right. somewhere, somewhere in, in clubs, basically. How did we get here? I don't know, but uh, I'm done <laughs> analyzing Ngana. So, Ed, it's up to you. Told you guys, you wouldn't be able to stick to it. I knew it. Uh, Francis Ngano, lots been said about him. Dan's like, I did it. And you, well, I don't know what you did, Dan. Um, disappointed in all of you. Uh, just kidding. You guys did, did a good job. Uh, Francis Ngano, like you guys said, he's really, really big for the weight. Um, hits super hard. He's, he's a good athlete generally. Uh, when, when you hear about like his story and you know, where he came from and, and all the, the you know, horrible things he went through to get to uh not America, France. Um, it's pretty insane. It's pretty insane. So I'm not, I'm never going to say he's not mentally tough, but I do think he has confidence issues. I do think, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, in a fighter sense, maturity could sometimes be an issue. He just isn't fully comfortable with what is supposed to happen in a fight, I think. And he's also like, a very nice person, a very kind person. So although he's very good at hurting people, I think uh, he doesn't have that, uh, that composure that comes with I mean, like, just, knowing what just you're to see to his, do. just to see his reaction after the Rosenstrike finish, he was just, at first he's, he's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, oh shit, I did that? Yeah, but oh, to no. be fair, to be fair, really quickly, he murdered Overeem and then hit him with a follow-up shot. He had he's no in, problem. in the moment. He was in the moment. That's fine, but I'm saying like he doesn't. It doesn't stop him from hurting people. It doesn't stop him from hurting people. It stops him from keeping himself in the "I need to hurt people" uh, stage, and just not you know, despite him having the power, despite him even saying that he had this belief uh, in his ability to knock people out, he doesn't really have his this ability to beat them at fighting. You know what I mean? Yeah, he thinks he- I have to land this huge shot, or I'm not going to win. And it's funny because if you watch. I've seen footage of his fights before he came into the UFC. And a lot of people have remarked that he looked better um, in a lot of regards. because he, he, yeah. he was willing to try stuff. He was willing to try stuff. He would throw just one, two. Two, yeah. throw two straight punches in a row, which is something you very rarely see these days. But um, I think, you know, prospect development is so weird because early on when, when you're coming in pretty raw as an athlete, what your coaches are trying to do with you, especially when they have someone of that, of those attributes and that what you might call talent uh, is they're just trying to teach them MMA. They're just trying to teach them the skills. And that goes far quickly um, because you're matched up with people whose skills aren't that deep, whose attributes aren't that deep and you can just try stuff and it'll probably work. Like how he had the, the Kimura against, uh, I think it was Anthony Hamilton. Um, you know, he's just, he probably learned that recently he probably didn't barely knew what he was doing at that point but uh you know i don't think he actually knew what he was doing <laughs> at all because according to his interviews he was just basically just trying to just trying out moves in the spur of the moment right he just well, i'll just do this why not yeah at lower but, levels you can do that yeah um, and where very quickly he figured out that he doesn't really need to do all that much doesn't need to stick to any sort of a process to win fights and which was uh, which uh, hamstrung his development so so much because we always talk about how the worst thing a fighter can learn is that they have a good chin and a pair of big hands and a lot of hitting power so 
And uh, for a lot of fighters, that means just basically the death of their discipline. So they st stop sticking to the process that they've been ingrained with and they just rely on their attributes to win fights because they know more often than not, it will be enough. It's the Anthony Pettis curse, isn't it? Like basically just the whole like, I just find finishes to these guys and just ignore the total development of like actually learning to do things and just rely upon sheer talent alone. That that's kind of always the risk with like certain prospects and whatnot, but you know. <sighs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> you had your chance to say all these things. <laughs> Don't know why you have to do this. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Uh you're breaking up my momentum. I had, you know, you, I, had I had thoughts rolling, and you're, it's Fuck throwing you, me Ed. off so much, so much. You guys I, aren't I invited have, back. I've none of you were invited back. We've led a mutiny. Oh, none of you are invited back. Uh, no one's getting paid, except, except Diggy. They'll still get paid. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, Dan, Dan succumbed to peer pressure. It's, that's unfortunate. Anyway, Francis Ngannou, I'm just going to jump into the Stipe fight, what happened in that first fight, because I think it gets misrepresented a little bit um, as he swing big and he got wrestled in the end. Things happened in between those phases, and I also think, you know, we're talking about his wrestling and his improvements, and Ben was referring to uh, some nice instincts he showed uh, against Curtis Blades with regard to his hip positioning and footwork and things like that. Listen, in, in the beginning of the Stipe fight, he defended a lot of takedowns um, and he did a good job getting off the cage. Stipe had him on the cage with an underhook uh, and Nganu actually you know, got the collar tie, uh, made, uh, created a frame and yanked the collar tie really hard and turned him off the cage. He, he clearly did something he was taught to do. Um, so I think there's something you see with Francis Nganu is a lot is he's been taught the right things. He knows what he's supposed to do. And sometimes he is capable of doing it. It's just that, what I began to say in the beginning of this before I was interrupted uh, was that, you know, he freaks out sometimes and he loses himself. He doesn't have confidence to stick to that. He's like, I just got to do this thing that I think will win me the fight. And it's actually something that him and Stipe have in common. Uh, funny enough is, is they both oh, kind of have their own ideas. Bill, that's just you. basically <laughs> a, a lack of composure from him, uh, which is, which is very pronounced in Ghana, like everything else about him and that he just sometimes, has trouble sticking to his uh, to what to the process because that's uh, that's what makes uh, the fight. That's the entire definition of a fighter's discipline, of a professional fighter's discipline, and he doesn't exactly have that. Uh, I got this one for you, Ed. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was Ed's turn to talk. Very different than what I said. Thanks. Thanks. It's very necessary to to put in there. Anyway. He showed a lot of good stuff there, and he had good instincts as a wrestler. And he, you know, he he knows how to jack a shot up uh, straight from a, a wizard. He knows how to control wrists. He knows how to do everything, and it works. And he doesn't need to do that good of a job either because he's huge and very hard to move around. And even when Stipe was getting really good shots on him, it was just very hard to knock him off his base. Because uh, even though Stipe is a decent sized heavyweight, Ngannou is a very dense man. So uh, I think him coming in heavy into that fight was helpful in that regard as well. The other thing was that he was just probably as the least energy efficient as he could possibly be. Uh, he made sure that he gassed in that fight. <laughs> he freaked out. He emptied the tank. Uh, he was swinging the craziest arm punches I've ever seen, which doesn't change. He still does that. 
Uh, it's funny because sometimes he can throw a jab and an uppercut like a normal person. And then sometimes he throws the craziest left hook you've ever seen. I actually think his left hook is always like that. That's just one punch that he just cannot figure out how to throw correctly. Um, he hits hard with it. Uh, if you remember, he was stepping backward in a narrow stance. I think that's what you were talking about, Ben, while Stipe was rushing him. And he, he banged him with these crazy slow arm punches and shook Stipe's face around, like clearly, clearly climbed him there. Um, so he knows that he can do that to people. And I think he's he's aware that he's cheating. Um, you know, it's like I could do the right thing or I could just try to hit him really hard. Um, and then he he can't he splits his focus. He can't figure out if he wants to do the game plan and try to be a good fighter, if he just wants to chase uh, that, that big shot, which is, you know, something that anyone can see when they watch him fight. That's not high level analysis, but I think what is higher level analysis is pointing out what are the good things that he does. And people are talking about like, Oh, Francis doesn't jab. He doesn't jab. When's he going to learn how to jab? He does jab and he does know how to jab. That's the funny thing is that he's, he does know that. And he has done that. Um, in fact, the times that he was most effective against Stipe, it's when he threw two punches, a jab, and then a second punch with his right hand, um, which is, I, I think, part of it, the narrative going into this fight that, you know, he, he's going to hit Stipe hard and Stipe's not going to be able to take it at this point because he's old and he's, he's slowing down and his chin's deteriorating. He, he hit him with everything he needed to hit him with to, to put him away in that fight. Uh, he had Stipe ducking directly into uppercuts. Those were clean, ridiculous, gigantic shots that didn't hurt him. Uh, one of the best shots he landed was a jab right hook uh, around the guard. Um, one of the things about Stipe's defensive reactions, I talked about this on the MMA podcast this morning, is Stipe uh, has a couple different looks he likes. He likes the pull counter to his two, and he likes the slip counter to his two, and he'll slip off your jab. So one of the obvious answers to that is get him slipping with the jab and, and hook as, as he slipped into it, and it worked perfectly. Um, by the time that Nganu figured out that he could do that, it was probably like late in the second round, some point in the third round, and he was already pretty tired. His feet were a little less mobile. That's when it became easier to take him down. Um, you're talked about like the, the reactive double. The reactive double was actually very difficult for Stipe to finish because Stipe actually doesn't have great footwork on his doubles. It's more of a straight run. And uh, basically the, the whole point on that is you need to outrun them. Uh, you need to keep stepping and get them stepping back and eventually just move enough space forward that they haven't caught up with their back foot and they fall over their base. Um, but when someone's really heavy, it's hard to move them quickly. So he was able to shoot him into the fence. And even when he's like near the fence and low on the legs and the legs are close together, he could just could not collapse his base because he's a tree. Um, so that, that was a tough shot to finish. What he had a lot of success with was the knee tap. Uh, the knee tap is actually much easier to finish, especially on someone who's uh, foot slow because you can just shoot the double to get the entry. And then it's really hard to remain in your stance, low in your stance and driving forward. Uh, so as you rise up in your stance, you can take the underhook on the top side and pull the knee on the other side and run them across the knee so they have no base and fall right over. That's something he did really well. Uh, one of his best takedowns in that fight. And it was funny because it didn't look like a good shot at all. It's like, oh, he's like nowhere near his hips. Like this shouldn't work. But it's, it's, a, it's a good shot. So I think he'll have some stuff to improve on. And against the cage, he's pretty good at uh, getting high with an underhook and controlling wrist and getting shoulder pressure in. And that's uh, that's how Stipe won the Daniel Cormier fight. So, I'm, I mean, I feel like most things that have needed to be said about Francis have been said. So I'm already kind of in matchup mode. And I'll say my prediction in a little bit. Uh, and then we'll go back to Ben and around for predictions. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think that was an interesting fight. And 
with regard to the ground control, Joe Rogan was like, Francis doesn't know what to do here. And Dominic Cruz is like, what should he do here? And Joe Rogan didn't have, have an answer. Um, I, I was watching it. I'm like, you know what? That's not actually, it's not an easy question to answer because in the positions that they were in, he should have been able to stand up. Uh, there wasn't actually that much control happening. He was like almost all the way up with the, the forearm on the back of his neck. And he just Every did not time. have the legs under him. Go ahead. Every time Stipe gave him a little bit, a tiny bit of space every time mm-hmm. Gano was able to stand up yeah. or at least regain his posture. Get to some semblance of a base, right? So he was he was doing stuff and like on the ground, it was slow, slow, slow. But he was working, slowly working himself back to the cage and was getting to better positions. So what I saw in that fight was a guy who completely exhausted himself within two rounds and then had to fight just a horrible fight where he like had to really be choosy with what he expended energy on by the fifth round he had nothing literally nothing left in the tank where he could not even throw punches he couldn't lift his arms up he couldn't move he was taking them it it looked funny it was actually hilarious um and stipe still couldn't commit to really doing much against him because even when he was dead tired like these crazy slow arm punches were still powerful um, in fact, the last thing Francis Ngannou did in that fight was throw a flying knee and it landed <laughs> to the body. Um, so it's going to be a dangerous <laughs> fight forever. It's always going to be dangerous. Um, I don't think Stipe believes that he can finish Francis Ngannou. And I think he's correct that he cannot finish Francis Ngannou because he hit him with everything you would want to hit him with. And it didn't work. Uh, of course, did he hit his body? No, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> did he get that much done on the ground? Well, Not really. <laughs> I don't think he actually wants to hit Ngano to no. the body because he believes that opens him up for a counter. And he's correct because Ngano is going to mm. be hunting for it. So that's kind of something I wanted to talk about via the discourse. Read the discourse. I used the wrong word, wrong transitional phrase. Uh, but with regard to the discourse around what was with the body punching and the DC fights, in the second DC fight, when he figures out that he should punch his body, it was because he saw DC was tired. DC started to look visibly tired. And that gave him the idea, like, oh, he's tired. I should hit his body. Um, so that's, you know, fault, fault to his camp for not identifying that yeah. in the first place. But he did see it. It did, it did come up for him. Now, with why he didn't do it and stick to it in the third fight, I have my theory for this. Uh, Daniel Cormier advertised as like I have a solution to the body shots and everyone knew that meant a counter <laughs> a counter hook uh, everyone knew what that meant and Stipe's camp and Stipe were probably like okay and you can treat that in one of two ways you can say I can just look for that and just do it anyway or you can say I don't need that and when I watched that fight yesterday the, the second fight I thought to myself Stipe was going to win this fight even if he didn't start hitting the body and the way he was going to win this fight was First of all, he had figured out the hand fighting situations. The way he was getting hit in those hand fighting situations is he was actually controlling and pushing off the hands and uh, paring them down and getting his straights going. That was working really well for him. But then he was just standing there after he finished that. DC was just eating the shots and then throwing at him when he was there. Um, and what Stipe did was after he hit them, he just started to smother him in the clinch and jack him up the underhook. And he realized he could beat DC in the clinch. And that's how he was winning the fight. Um that's yeah, what he did in the third fight. <laughs> DC also made it somewhat slightly harder to hit him to the body by going yeah. back to the double forearms guard, yeah. which actually made him easier to for Stipe to jab him to up, clinch. which yeah. was what Stipe did for the first several rounds yeah. and almost nearly finished DC to the head mm-hmm. by striking him with straight punches to the head. 
And yeah, I mean, people always point to that like, as if it's some kind of baffling sort of thing. But uh, I mean, Stipe is also slowing down. He's getting his um, his forty. Is uh, he didn't want to maybe concede the hand speed fight by going to the body in, yeah. in his situation, and he knows he can hit hard, hit him faster and harder with straight punches. So that's what he did. I yeah. Mean, it's a perfectly reasonable adjustment to make in his situation, I think. I agree. I think he saw in that in that second fight that there was something easy that he can do that's pretty energy efficient, that wouldn't take a lot out of him and really took away the chance for DC to hit him hard by getting into these situations where he can smother him and doing it and winning the fight very comfortably, even if he didn't put him away. I don't fault him for that. I think it's obvious to say like he should have just hit his body, but there's risk associated with that. And I think there's more risk associated with that than doing another proven game plan that was working in that second fight that, that, that won him the fight very pretty easily. So um, with regard to Stipe's strategy, I think he's someone that has a mind of his own um, in, in a fight. He, he sees what's working and he sticks to it. Um, and that's what makes him great at winning. Uh, when we talk about like what makes a winner and, and like winning as a skill, that's one of those things is, is the ability to identify those things and not being scared to stick to it, not getting bored uh, of a winning game plan. I think that's something that the heavy hands guys bring up sometimes, usually about women's MMA because their top fighters happen to be boring. Um, but <laughs> actually, actually uh, unrelated, but I think Yang, Yang suffers from it somewhat. He, sometimes he just gets he bored. Gets bored. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just wants to hurt people in very many different things, in many different things. Yeah. I'll jump into my official prediction. So obviously the reason to pick Nganu is he had plenty of success in, in that, um, in that fight against Stipe. He had plenty of success. He had all the success that he would need to have to win it. It didn't work. He didn't knock him out, but you know, he, if you, if you showed that to me and you said Francis is going to land these strikes, I would say, yeah, he could probably knock him out for sure. Um, but what after seeing it and seeing that they didn't, it's like, okay, should I expect them to after he nothing has rocked him since that that DC punch that put him out, which he was blind for? You know, they say it's the ones that you don't see that really hurt you. He literally couldn't see it. Uh, so that's why I heard him. Uh, so I'm trying to evaluate Stipe's chin based on that. That's a really bad way to pick a fight is where's his chin at. But another way to think about this fight is that like I said, Francis Ngannou fought the least energy efficient fight possible the first time. It's going to be very difficult not to improve on that. Um, to, to not do better than that would be a gigantic, enormous failure of epic proportions um, because he fought one of the dumbest fights I've ever seen and still had plenty of success. Um, so if he's able to realize or his camp's able to realize, here are the things that went well in that fight. Let's do those things. Uh, he should have a lot better performance. The reason why I don't trust that too much is because I've seen what his coaching looks like in these, in the short glimpses we get in like these embedded videos and hearing from his coaches, they're still, still trying to teach him MMA. I think that's a bad idea. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I think that's a bad idea at this level. I it's mean, at the championship level now, and that, you shouldn't be trying to teach him new stuff. He has a skill set that wins him fights at this yeah. level. That was, that. <laughs> that what was that that's the thing I was getting at with my Brocky Marciano talk. Just pick a thing and then nail that thing until just drive it home. Just drill that. It's all coming together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, they, in on, the embedded videos this week, they were teaching him an arm triangle from top. Like, <laughs> what utility why? does that serve in this fight? 
Like, how are you gonna take That's... him down? <laughs> well, I'm gonna um, try and go steep it from top. He's gonna top him. He's gonna top <laughs> steep. <it. laughs> anyway, All right. <laughs> I I don't feel comfortable making a prediction based on this person's durability is wherever it is. I think that's a. I, I gave Ben a ton of shit before we started for because I knew that's what he was gonna say. Um, I think that's a reasonable thing to say. I just am not in the business of making predictions like that because I've done it too many times. It didn't work out. So I'm like, screw it. Like never again. I'm never going to assume someone's durability. I'm never going to assume washness or shotness. I just can't do it. It's, it's not predictable. MMA is weird. I, I keep seeing these obvious trends. I'm like, well, uh, clearly this time he won't be able to stand up to whatever punishment. And then it's wrong. And like chins are magical. So I don't know. I'm not going to pick base on that, but I think Nganu can have a better fight. I think Stipe is going to be able to figure out how to win because he had so many ways to win the first fight and he's still a great fighter. And uh, this is probably his last one. So I don't think he'll get lazy. I think he'll, he'll figure it out and I'm going to pick him uh, to win another decision. And it should be slightly more contentious. And even if he can't take uh, Nganu down, I think he can have a competitive winning fight with him on the feet. Uh, so Ed, before the, podcast um just messing around i don't know um i came into this are you apologizing no uh (laughs) uh, no i came into this podcast really unsure of how to pick this fight uh for all the reasons that we ended up discussing it's kind of hard to make a prediction on this site because realistically uh the fight happened i think you know three ish four something years ago um Stipe, like you said, was knocked out, but he was blind. But also, he's take had these three fights with Cormier, and he took a lot of punishment. Um, it, it's kind of hard to know where he's at. I think he has visibly slowed down, and I think that's going to be a problem. But then there's the factor of DC is just that goddamn fast. So maybe it's not that Stipe has slowed down. Maybe DC is just that. Uh, maybe not Stipe has slowed down. Maybe DC really is just that fast, and uh, he'll still be. DC able to was also of- a particularly uncomfortable matchup, and that he oh, had true. this. Be- yeah, he had the hand speed advantage and then he had the stupid mummy god thing going on. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, there are the factors of uh, where's Stipe at physically, but like you said, it's hard to predict a fight based on that. Um, there are a couple of factors that I think are really... Uh, I, I, it kind of bothers me that Stipe has never had to really change things up when it comes to leg kicks is that he just doesn't defend them at all. Uh, with Nganu's coaches, who they are now, I'm kind of hopeful that maybe they're actually going to spot some of the holes in Stipe's game and have worked with Nganu, not necessarily, I know you said they're still trying to teach him MMA, but maybe they can get him to stick to his game plan, right? Uh, if he can, you know, force Stipe into his, his B game, which is make him come forward, force him to lead, and give him those spots uh, by drawing him out with, you know, just a simple jab, setting up his overhand right or straight right with the jab or a left hook, uh, leg kicks from the outside. I think that that's something that could could not just be Ngano being physically more impressive, but also just a solid game plan that could probably get him the victory by catching Stipe coming in. Uh, there is another problem is that. On the flip side, I don't know if Ngano's first layer is enough to win a fight if 
he can't knock out Stipe. In fact, I'm more than sure. I'm rather sure that he can't. I think his first layer is enough to win the fight if he could hurt Stipe or rock him or, 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 or knock him out, obviously. But if Stipe could take those shots and let's say even lose the first round or two and he's still there, I'm not really sure Ngannou has the depth of skill uh, to really win that fight. Uh, this is a fight that Stipe absolutely has a technical advantage over Ngannou. Um, another thing to factor in is that Ngannou doesn't check leg kicks either. Uh, he was kicked pretty hard by JDS, uh, kicked off his feet, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, Stipe landed some really good leg kicks in their fight. Ngannou just doesn't check leg kicks because he doesn't really have to. He didn't check it against Yair Rosenstruck either. Um, so I want to say I feel confident that Stipe could win. I don't. I don't feel confident Stipe could win this fight. It is Ngannou. He does hit fuck hard. Um, it's kind of crazy that Stipe was able to eat a Ford Escort hitting him at 35 miles an hour. <laughs> and somehow DC was able to finish him, but I guess one-eyed Stipe is just knockoutable. Thank you, Stefan Struve, and thank you, DC. So maybe DC can, uh, maybe maybe Ngannou is upgraded to a Ford Taurus. I don't know, but right now, I I wanna, I, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable picking on this fight. Um, if Stipe could drag. Uh, Ngano into a slow paced fight, get him jumpy and force him to lead. I think he'll win this fight. I, I, I think that if Stipe is able to come off the back, but he should win this fight. Uh, granted, he did eat a bunch of shots, but he should be able to. If he slowed down, I think Ngano wins this. If we see, because that DC fight, he saw punches coming. He could see he saw them and he wanted to react to them and he just could not react. He couldn't get his head out of the way. And him being able to see it and prepare for it uh, by just like, I guess, bracing himself somewhat definitely helped him take them, but the fuck, Ed? I win. That's actually great. It's like it's so see steep they going like, I'm going to let him hit me and then he won't hit me. <laughs> <laughs> What you didn't see that interview where YouTube just gave up on the closed captions? It's the funniest <laughs> thing. Steve, they asked uh, Ariel asked him about an album. I don't care about this. Is this is not analysis? But they, it just asked him about like a song or an album. Steve starts talking about it. YouTube captions just gives up trying to translate what he said. <laughs> there's just the word music for about seven seconds on the screen of him talking. <laughs> and it just goes, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, or something like that. It's amazing. I, I think I saved it. I'll send it to you. It's so fucking good. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, this is probably Stephen's last fight. I really want him to go out on top. I want him to be arguably the greatest heavyweight ever because I really like him. Uh, Ngannou still has time, mostly because he'll just probably keep knocking everyone else out or have that god-awful rematch with Derek Lewis eventually for the title. Let's go. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't want to pick this fight, but I'm going to... Should I Algebra 2.0 this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, fuck it. Fuck you, Ed. I have to pick against you, even though I actually think Stipe will win. I'm going to pick Ngano, not because I'm sadness hedging, but because I just don't want to agree with Ed. 
Fuck you, Ed. I thought you were going to pick Ngannou coming into this. Did, did, did the course of the discussion talk you out of it, but now you're back in? No, I really was. No, I was memeing a lot, uh, truth be told, beforehand. Um, punch hard, steep a die, ha ha ha. Like, that was mostly memeing. Worked myself into a shoot. Yeah, uh, I actually do think that Stipe will win. Um, he should win, realistically. Nato just doesn't have the depth of skill to, to, to really win this fight if he doesn't finish him, or at least he hasn't shown it yet. And you can't pick, you can't pick, like you said, I can't rely on his shot. He's going to eat, but still, fuck you. It, it could happen. Out. But still, fuck you. I'm picking. It's a out. reasonable pick, but fuck you too. <laughs> Ed, I'm gonna out wrestle you when we train together. Finally, probably. You're the I wrestled wrestler. in like two years. I've never wrestled. <laughs> no, you've wrestling practice. Yeah, right. Iggy, you pick this fight. Give us a pick. Uh, you know, I actually hate this these panels. Did you know that? Because it takes so I, long I, to get I to my. It, out. <laughs> it takes so long to get to my, to actually to to my turn that I actually forget everything that I wanted to say. Are you guys too big for this format? Oh Jesus! Well, uh, the thing about uh, well, once again, it's as you said. In the absence of data, you can't actually like just dream up a scenario and then pick that. And uh, Stipe is a much more known quantity as opposed to Ngannou at this point. So, and we've we've seen things from him that should be able uh, should 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 help him win this fight. So he should win this fight. But this is first of all, this is heavyweight. Everyone can punch hard. Second of all, Ngannou punches the hardest out of any heavyweight. Third, Stipe is old and kind of maybe a, a little bit slower, and maybe that's the only margin that, that's needed for Ghana to win this fight. So, I don't fucking know. I'm, just, uh, I'm kind of like, 50, I'm kind of 50-50 on this. I want to lean Stipe, because Stipe actually has process, actually shows things, and he's actually a good fighter and a good person. Uh, but Francis and Ghana is basically the champion that the heavyweight division deserves. So... Um. Uh. The, the, the. Wait. Going off script. <laughs> Is he flip, flipping a coin? Yes. But I'm picking stupid. Maybe a coin. Listen, on the bright side, if Ngana wins. We're going to have Derek Lewis as the heavyweight champ in 2021. We actually might. Yeah, I, That's you know amazing. What? That's the fucking champ. That's amazing. Deserves. That's genuinely amazing. That's the I want to see him. And then, 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 I don't know what the fucking expect. It's heavyweight. <laughs> well, they JDS might just trade. Again. Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou might just trade spots for, like, for the next 10 years. Well, I mean, if be... they bring JDS back, they could always have JDS be the title holder again. <laughs> Will JDS survive 10 years against them both? Uh, not against Ngato, apparently, but he will against Derek Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Dan. I would, first of all, like to begin by saying I am grossly offended by Iggy's final statement that uh, Ngato is what the division deserves because... The one thing Stipe has that's greater than Fedor, for instance, 
is that he made Dana mad. <laughs> er. And I stand by that. Um, anyways, um, yeah, I think most of this has been like, I don't know where this guy is at, so why bother? Um, I will say I kind of stand by my reads on Stipe that I think he's kind of a guy who does what he sees works best. So one, one thing I did forget to mention is in the first fight, Ngannou kind of tags Stipe a little bit early with that jab of his, but then it kind of gets taken away because Stipe starts jabbing with him or starts pull countering him, like Ed says. But then that's on top of all the little other things, such as repositioning, drawing, little things. Because the thing about uh, Stipe is like, he's way, way more layered than like practically any other heavyweight. So that's kind of like pretty important towards like trying to pick against him. Cause it's just hard to really find guys who are more layered unless you're talking like Daniel Cormier, who's not more layered, but he's like tricky and experienced and gritty enough to like match that. Um, I, I once again, don't ever live by my rule of absolutes. So it's like, in, for me, it's just um, I need to see Stipe lose this or f- basically fight dumb for me to really believe that he's going to get knocked out here. But it's it's a totally plausible outcome. And the Sith Lords deal in absolutes. Shut up, nerd. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to take I, I'm going to take a Stipe, even though uh, I will admit. Uh, it's not it's not a confident one, but I don't think anyone can be confident. And that's that's really it. It'll be interesting. Hopefully the USC gets mad because uh, the guy they don't want to be their baddest man on the planet isn't, you know, well, who I, they want. well I mean, honestly, if Stipe takes a whole bunch of shots for horrific shots from Gunner, isn't able to take him down and still beat him on the feet, that would be a, an ironically just that's just goat shit. That would definitely elevate him above uh, the Fyodor, in my eyes. Beautiful, beautiful pronunciation. Ooh, your fancy Russian pronunciation. Yeah, look at you knowing how to speak Russian. How dare you? Uh, let's how let's uh, you, let's shift Sipi gears. actually speaks worse English than me. How about that? That's that's insane. <laughs> not worse. And he's an actual Native American. It's, it's not worse. Well, he's just, a, he's a native of the United States. Stipe has grovel sand voice. It's pretty horrifying. He's Stone Cold Steve Austin, but he doesn't have to try. <laughs> <laughs> We're, uh, we've, we've gone a long time. There's still a little bit more I want to discuss. So let's get uh, still on you, Dan. Uh, can I get your pick for Tyron Woodley versus Vicente Luque? So you're asking me, uh, do I pick the frozen one? The guy who constantly <laughs> decides to stand with his back against the fence, looks for one weapon that barely un- or lands and is getting older and thus like not as athletic and doesn't have the crutches of skill. And then likes like any like reflection. Um, yeah, I mean, I, d- I don't really know Luke that well as a fighter, but um, I'm all aboard this lose 18 rounds in a row bandwagon that we all got going. So I'm going that. I know that's not the deepest analysis, but I'm not prepared to talk about that. But also it's Tyron Woodley. Why would I bother? Left hook cross counter. That's what you really need to know about Luke. Iggy, who are you picking between Woodley and, and Luke? And, and off, feel free to offer more than, more than no, Dan did. I mean, Not that Dan's offer was bad. It was a good offer. Well, I mean, Luke is kind of defensively just kind of a void 
but he has a good chin and sometimes he he keeps his arms up so that may be just enough to deflect some of those overhands that uh, Tyron Woodley throws like once per round at the best of times which he may not even throw in this fight at all because he's just gotten older and worse so and uh, look he is uh, a pressure fighter naturally and he won't even he won't have to do any of the pressure fightery stuff that he usually does because Woodley will just concede space and just hang out on the fence and basically let him let Luki do everything that he that he everything Luki wants to do to him. He's just a heavy back at this point. It's kind of it's really sad actually to look at him uh, to to watch him fight. It's it's disheartening. The mental decline, not not to, like the the combination of the physical and mental decline that Woodley is. Woodley embodies is just depressing, and I won't, wouldn't even want to watch this fight at all. <laughs> well, obviously, I'm picking Lucky to win, maybe, but uh, well, maybe Woodley is durable enough to for it to be a doctor stoppage or a corner stoppage as opposed to just a plain knockout. I don't know, that's that's the only variables I, I can see the like actually playing out in this fight. How hard does Woodley get beat up? This is our co-main. Any boy? Remember when we were supposed to talk about Volkanovski and Tega? <laughs> oh, fuck no, I don't. I forgot all about God. that. Uh, I erased it from my memory due to sadness. So mad. Um, I mean... This is a genuine question because I, 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 well, it's not a genuine question. It's me remembering something and, and, and so not, not being 100% sure. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, Luke doesn't really faint a lot, correct? Mm, he doesn't well, in the traditional sense, but he uses strikes in a conceptually fainty way sometimes. Right. Like throwaway strikes. Almost. Touchy. Yeah. So, he measures stuff with his jab. Yeah. Right. Measures what distance. I'm, yeah. What I'm curious about is if Woodley can use that because he really seems to struggle when guys either uh, have a very active hard uh, like what what Burns was doing right the pressure was really 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 just full blown 100% pressure Luke I feel like will will at least early on before he kind of gets in his groove uh, will pressure with his footwork and will be touching you up but he's not necessarily going to be hurting you with every single shot right off the bat no, uh, he has pretty he heavy has hands. No, he has heavy hands, but I'm saying like he's he's trying to be technical. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what I what I'm curious about is if Woodley in that early uh, portion of the fight can kind of time an overhand right as Luke is trying to kind of. Well, I guess he could, but I mean, Luke is has has uh, um, just an absurd chin. So he does have an absurd chin, but we have seen him hurt before. Yeah, and Woodley is still probably able to hit pretty fucking hard. Um, Will Woodley follow up on that though? No, the, no, the God, no, lies the question. No, there's no such thing as a follow up from Woodley. It's just the one hand. Um, uh, Tyler, one hand Woodley would actually be a pretty good nickname. You can't top the frozen one that, that no, killed me. No, you, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, but he's not going to call himself the frozen one. Uh, he should do that as his next rap video. It should be a frozen knockoff. <laughs> oh. he, he will probably think that it's it's actually kind of rad the frozen one just 
Oh, that means I'm as cool as ice. Could we could we make like a a parody of uh, falling in and out of love with you, but like to the frozen? Could we do that? Do we have the capability to do that? (laughs) You can do that. I don't know how, but I'm sure Fino could. Uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, Lucas should kill him. Honestly, like he's he's a really good pressure fighter. He's really durable. Um, He's got he's got volume. He's got power. Uh, he mixes up his striking really nicely. He's going to attack Woodley at all levels. He hits the body, kicks the legs a lot. Uh, his cross counter is fucking money. Uh, the problem is that Woodley his left is, hook is fucking his, money. His He's even more is, money. His left hook is money, but like also Cold. Woodley doesn't jab, so it doesn't really matter. You can't hit the cross counter when you don't jab. <laughs> so, um, um, uh, no, that's actually the rationale for why people just run at Ngano as opposed to trying to jab him because they're afraid of the cross counter. Statistically, the one two is the most dangerous strike to throw. The combination yeah, to yeah. throw. According to <laughs> according to uh, Sensei, uh, John Kavanaugh, boss, yeah, doesn't believe Johnny Cabs of the. Well, Bossroom doesn't believe in jabs either. Anyway, I'm going to pick here. Luke, um, pick Luke and I actually think he'll finish. Uh, I think he'll finish Woodley. Um, yeah, I don't know if he'll get him by submission or not. Uh, it's probably pretty hard to submit uh, Woodley due to him just having no neck and being absolutely well, strong. Um, look, it does have a pretty, pretty good dart. Yeah, his front. Yeah, he does have a really good dart. But Woodley also has a back that's about as wide as your average uh, drive-in movie theater. So it's going to be really hard to mm-hmm. wrap that up. Uh, but yeah, Luke's Dars is actually really good. His jiu-jitsu in general is really good. Uh, but I'm going to pick Luke to finish him probably sure. in the second round. Fair. Fair and good. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird because this is the, the guy who backs himself into the fence versus the guy who's really good at hurting people and finishing them when they're against the fence. So he's done that multiple times. Uh, Luke, if you stand in front of him, and don't have a cheater chin, he'll, he'll put you away. He'll murder you. Um, he's, he's, he's pretty solid in the pocket. His hands are like weirdly heavy. Um, he doesn't look like he's hitting that hard, but he's just, just crazy impact on his shots. Just kind uh, of... Yeah. <laughs> um, that does good sound effects, but yeah, the people he struggled with are like Nico price who can eat any shot. Uh, Brian Barbarino who can eat any shot and uh, Leon Edwards and Steven Thompson who are really good outfighters which is difficult for someone who's trying to be technical to in, in air quotes um but but luke you know he, he's you know very very process driven kickboxer very patient uh does things it's to, to the dutch the right way um not completely perfect uh ryan wagner hates the way he kicks um so take that for what you will but and ryan uh, hates the way everyone kicks so ryan hates a lot of things yeah <laughs> ryan hates everything except for snack yeah so I'm thinking about Woodley and I'm thinking about the Colby Covington fight where he tried to break that mold of like, I'm not going to back myself into the cage and wait for the right hand the whole time. I'm going to do something different. Cause like Colby Covington notoriously likes to be there. And he didn't, apparently he learned his lesson from Usman said, I will not do that this time. And he tried to, to do a fight. He tried to do MMA in that fight. The problem is he is 38 and it's too late. It's too late to become an MMA fighter again. He used to be. Uh, and then he, he found his his ultimate winning strategy. He said, I will stick to this. And then after it lost him 10 rounds in a row or whatever, he's like, all right, I should do something different. Um, and you know what? He gave Colby a tougher fight than Robbie Lawler did. That's a fact. Um, that's factual information. He uh, he threw his right hand to the body a little bit. He took Colby down. 
Uh, he held front headlock for a little bit. I thought he had an argument to almost win around at one point. Like he, he did some stuff and that doesn't mean he's like, Oh, he's improving or, Oh, he's going to win this fight. I just think that he's trying. He understands. He knows, he knows a, what happened to him. Remember, <laughs> remember when he pressured Robbie Lawler? Remember that? Yeah. He won on the front nice. foot. That wasn't even him walking into his right hand. He actually tracked him down. Yep. Um, so, you know, Tyron Woodley's an interesting guy. He definitely lacked self-awareness for a while. And maybe believed a little. We, we talked a lot about this on this podcast about fighters having their own ideas of what their game plan is and, and how they win fights. And, and Woodley's definitely one of those guys. And you can't argue with him when he's winning. And then it's not going to change right away the first time it loses him a fight. So I get why it took a while. But obviously, I, I think it's I mean, too late. And that's, yeah. What's up? Hex always talks about this and that self-awareness is a superpower. Yeah. But uh, you should have the right amount of self-awareness in order to actually bank on it because too much self-awareness is just usually just as worse as having no self-awareness. Yeah. Don't want to freeze yourself with anxiety because um, you're too aware of the consequences and your strengths and your weaknesses. And yeah. You have to so, be a little bit stupid. <laughs> so, for example, Ngano may be a bit too self-aware for his own good and that he actually knows that he can just run at people, but he's not self-aware enough to realize that maybe sticking to the process may actually lend the same yeah. results. He doesn't trust it. Um, yeah. And, and Stipe trusts, you know, maybe not doing the thing that's the smartest, but he he's fully aware it'll work and that he knows that he can just do what he needs to do. Um, very interesting how, how there's a lot of parallels with this with regard to this in the card. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely picking Luke a, uh, just because I don't, I think it's too late for Woodley to make those changes. And, you know, there, there's the risk of, you know, big punch, but Luke has got a really good chin too. Right? Like that Barbarana fight's ridiculous. And if you look at Barbarana, you might not know that he's a huge power puncher, but he is. Um, and so is Nico Price. And, and so are a lot of the people that he's that, uh, did the, did Luke a fight Nico Price? Am I making this up? Or am I thinking of Jeff Neal? Fought him twice. Yeah. Did All they right. fight twice? Cool. I'm glad I didn't imagine that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely picking Luke. Um, moving on to the last fight we're going to discuss, we're just going to do the same thing we did here and do picks. Uh, Sean O'Malley is fighting uh, Thomas Almeida. And it's another one where, like, the very simple explanation probably makes it an easy pick and something you don't want to discuss that much. But let's try to also consider some possibilities additionally. Um, the easy pick is that Thomas Almeida's chin is probably average at best. And his defense is also average at best. And when you're fighting the style that he fights, which is very aggressive, uh, forcing a lot of exchanges, opening up a lot, you need to have better attributes than he does to pull that off. And, and he doesn't. And that's why he gets knocked out. Um, Sean O'Malley someone that starts really fast, clearly athletic, clearly fast, definitely has a speed advantage, hits hard, throws straight, covers a lot of distance. And um, it's a bad recipe. It's a bad recipe for Alameda, especially early on. But if he can somehow get this fight into a place where O'Malley's a little slower and he can do some attritional work, maybe boot his leg a bit, uh, I think he has a great style to, to work O'Malley once he's slowed down a little bit, especially because O'Malley likes to take the back foot. And I think being an outfighter is one of the riskiest decisions you can make in, in MMA because of the cage yeah. and because of the way that fighting MMA on the back foot tires you out. And once you get tired, doing the same stuff you tried to do when you were fresh is a surefire way to, to get beat up. So I think if it gets there, it, it could be rough because, uh, you know, Almeida works the body really well. He round kicks really well. He low kicks really well. Uh, he hooks uh, around guards very well. So I think he could really do some damage if he can get the fight into that space when O'Malley is a little slower. But 
Uh, and he's someone that kind of operates on momentum, needs to pick up steam over the course of a fight. Not necessarily a slow starter, but a bad starter is Almeida, whereas O'Malley is, is a good starter and a fast starter. So um, I think it's one of those things where if he gets out of the first round, he can probably win the fight. And if he doesn't, he won't. But uh, another thing is like, you know, Cheeto kicked up his leg and it seemed like it was pretty easy to hurt his yeah. leg. The one thing kicked, about so O'Malley is that thinking about counters seemed- for that. Yeah, he seems pretty fragile, O'Malley does. Yeah. It's hard to say. So maybe maybe Almeida goes after that. Maybe O'Malley's thought about that and has counters prepared. And maybe Almeida does go to the leg early on and gets hit with the straight and gets knocked out doing that. Um, so it's a depressing fight because I really like Almeida and what he does. But like I said, his limitations really hamstring his style, and that's why he's lost three in a row, um, despite the competition being good. Um, he didn't lose to anyone bad. Um, and – Jonathan Martinez is a lot better than people are going to understand he is because he just got knocked out by someone who wasn't necessarily very good. He was winning that fight pretty wide. It was a really unfortunate knockout. Um, but yeah, I like Almeida. I hope he can turn it around. I see he grew his hair out. Maybe that'll give him powers. I'm not sure. Ben, what do you think? <laughs> well, this is one where I do feel comfortable saying that Almeida's chin is not great. Uh, I know that you yeah. said that when we were discussing it that it's in this boxing defense, but you can't claim that he has a glass, that he doesn't have not a glass think- chin. But I think he, it's at least normal, and it's just not – that's not good I don't enough. think it's normal. I think <laughs> at bantamweight, it's definitely sub subpar. Um, there's no question that it's not below average it, to me. Being um, being somewhat less durable than others is one of the worst things you can be at uh, at bantamweight. Yeah, that too. Which is full of huge punches. Which is very amusing because featherweight isn't so much, and flyweight definitely isn't. Uh, bantamweight having that just – weird thing where it's just huge puncher after huge puncher after huge puncher. banger after banger after banger it's crazy the whole way through um so yeah i i do think that's something to to note and o'malley you say a lot of things about him but that motherfucker hits hard um really hard and he's very fast um two things that almeida has struggled with over and over again guys who are going to come out really hard and hit him hard and hurt him and guys that uh, are faster than him are going to be a problem. Uh, Cody to uh, Rivera is a lot more crafty than o- O'Malley. Don't get me wrong. Um, and like you said, the, the fighters he's lost to are really, really good. O'Malley is not as good as them. However, early on, he is going to be able to land, I think, on Almeida. Almeida's defense is really not good, especially in the pocket. It doesn't really matter because O'Malley's not a pocket boxer. However, He's very good at finding those openings to land. Um, the only thing that I could say that that really just makes it very hard to pick O'Malley, uh, you know, in a surefire way is that his his competition kind of sucks. Like his best win is Eddie Wineland on the downswing, and I love Eddie. I really, I, I love Eddie as a fighter. Love you too, man. Guy is... Having a dad moment here. I've never been you dadding out then? I've never been more disappointed. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, yeah, but Eddie Wineland's only win in the last like four years is over Grigory Popov, and it was a tough fight for him. So realistically, uh, this is a fight that Almeida should lose if O'Malley has proven himself to be better. He hasn't, but. Yeah, I'm going to pick Almeida. I'm still going to – I'm just going to, like, 
I have to have faith that in a division like bantamweight, skill matters in some fucking fashion. Okay, if it's gonna matter in any goddamn division, it's gotta be fucking bantamweight, right? <laughs> so, fucking hell, Almeida by TKO round three because while O'Malley, like you said, is tough, he does kind of lack um, the durability for that toughness to actually matter. I think. So oh, I didn't make a pick. Uh, I I pick uh, O'Malley. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> I love this. No matter what, we automatically have to pick opposite. I, I'm, picking, no I'm, picking, I'm picking Almeida by uh, O'Malley's knee exploding or something. Or like ribs just exploding out of his body and flying in, in random directions because he squeezes him a bit too hard. Dan, that was the whole thing. Uh, Your turn, Dan. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, so... I, I'm not fully prepped on Almeida. Um, Al- Almeida, uh, I was talking with our friend of the site, uh, Downward Elbow, about him a couple of months back. And my read on O'Malley is like, I don't necessarily think he's a super hard puncher more than he's just an accurate, fast puncher and his speed surprises guys. Plus, like, I think the downside to O'Malley, though, is I think he's very reliant upon his feints being very effective with guys and putting him on the back foot and especially targeting that leg, albeit with setups, is usually a good way to solve the problem. I'm not convinced his lateral footwork is that good. I'm not convinced like he's capable on longer exchanges at all. I'm not sure like he's the kind of guy who can like grit his way back. And I need to kind of see that to like buy into him. But on the other hand, yeah, I, I'm not sold on Almeida being that tough at this point he's definitely like gritty but he's not like physically he you know uh i do think from what i do recall of almeida though that he is a violence monger when he gets going um and i i think yeah it's as simple as i think if almeida is able to push him back consistently like force a lot of attacks especially with like kicks early um, I think he has a chance of giving O'Malley a ton of trouble. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not confident enough to make a pick. Actually, I am. Um, I'm going to take the new route Bantamweight has presented us recently, namely Almeida by a knee DQ. Hmm. You Wait, think O'Malley shit. is going to knee Almeida Wait, illegally? I messed up. Other way around? O'Malley. <laughs> by a knee DQ. I so, so, not take so, my so medication who, who, today. Who gets kneed in the face? O'Malley is going to knee. Listen, no, O'Malley is going to get kneed illegally, I think is what he's saying. Listen, just some something. Or does Alameda get kneed it's, illegally? I'm listening. No. We, we've already seen two, I think, two illegal knees. And you know what? I don't give a fuck. Let's just have more every single time. I'm More fully of, of the what? opinion they should keep doing it until they make it legal. Yeah, exactly. That's part Do of the it fun. In every fight. Um, now, my my actual opinion is like, uh, I'm going to take O'Malley, but I'm not confident. I don't know. I'm just loving how incredulous Ben has looked every time I've talked today. <laughs> it has been part of my joy. I can't tell if he's reacting to us or something else that's happening. You. I'm reacting to all of you. <laughs> I really, it's, this, this has been uh we picked the memeiest fucking card to talk about, you know that, right? We talk about every card. Right. I do. 
Well, here's the problem. This was supposed to be a card with Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega on it. Who are you going to pick in that fight? Alex. All done. Everyone else picking Volkanovsky. Yeah, but Ortega would have Well, Ed, 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 you were definitely picking Ortega since I picked Alex Volkanovsky. No, I was going to pick Volkanovsky. Don't I fucking can't pick Ortega. Pit, Ed. I'd never pick Ortega. Uh, I picked against Ortega versus the Korean Zombie. I, I have full commitment to picking against Ortega. Who I don't, the fuck I don't know. would pick Ortega to win this fight? Is there is there even a path to victory realistically for Ortega? Me and Elbow, for sure. Uh, you know, I may have yeah. one. I have may I may have two possible outcomes, but it's a long explanation. Are either of them DQs? No, it's so actually a serious one. <laughs> no, it's an actual serious one. Does it involve the clinch? No. Then so Ben's you, not interested. Oh, <laughs> nope. Ben is about to just log off. Uh no, break, I mean, we at TFS really sure. try to break her superiors. No, I don't such think, as ben. I don't think Ortega could win that fight without. without I I don't think Ortega does win that. No, I'm no. saying without being able to impose his grappling, I don't think he'd win the fight. Oh well, I he can't think. impose his grappling on anyone. Well, and he wins fights. Uh, right, well, but not against Alex Vulcan. He forces them to impose their grappling on him, and then he counter grapples them. He he enforces other people to beat him up. Uh, I fucking hate just the two. I think true. <laughs> I think it all serious. I don't. I don't know why jujitsu is a martial art. It's so stupid. <laughs> Fucking learn a takedown, dumbass. You say this, and then Ngannou is going to get that arm triangle. <laughs> what? Ngannou is going to get that say, arm triangle and make jujitsu real again. I'm sorry. Ngannou is going to unplot this Tipi Miocic in the fifth. Can we, can, can we point out that Ngannou took Anthony Hamilton, who is not a good fighter, but if I'm not mistaken, has a wrestling background. With, I like about that. Uh, maybe. I don't give a shit. It's not important. <laughs> what, is, what is important is he took a 265-pound fucking man who had like twice as much MMA experience as him and comored him, but like launched him from fucking standing doing so. And when they interview him afterwards, like, yeah, I was, I just taught that during the warmups. Yeah, he has a wrestling background, by the way. So, like, fuck you, jujitsu. This is bullshit. Like, if some dude who's literally never been shown a move can learn it in ten minutes before the fucking fight, and then just go like, I'm gonna do it, and all he has to do is just be stupid strong, and it works. Jujitsu is not real. It's not fucking real. <laughs> and you could say the same about boxing. You could teach a random person in the street how to punch, and they could go knock someone out really quick. Yeah, but they're not going mean, to knock out a really good, really, really, really they good They definitely boxer. could. They totally could. Good good boxers get knocked out by bad boxers all the time. Yeah. Striking, is, striking is not about like just the solid process, positional process, or all that stuff. You can just land at people, on people and that's it. What's the uh, what's the thing about this that this the expert swordsman should fear the uh the amateur? Something like that. Are we still recording? Yeah, it's it's yeah. like uh, <laughs> it's like whenever you basically spa a novice and you just and they just kind of spaz out at you and, and spazzy you... white belts are yeah, who you should fear. No, spazzy white belts are actually a danger to society. Actually, when come to think of it, like the matchup Stipe Miocic versus uh, Ngannou is kind of like that. It is. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Volkanovski Ortega is kind of like that as well. No, no, come on, stop it. Hey. Til- til- Ortega's better than that. Ortega's All better right. than that, man. Come on. <laughs> I think... Is he? Yes. Yeah, he can jab. <laughs> well, that's already better than white belts in MMA. Well, it's kind of like what Ed said. Someone just basically showed him how to punch, and then he punched. 
and then he punches people. That's it. Yo, that's that's the extent of his boxing. Okay, he. All right. I feel like I feel like if Ortega's not a if is if Ortega's a spazzy white belt in MMA, then we're really setting the bar stupid high. We have and like Sydney Dandois was a professional fighter who fought. She doesn't get a belt. She doesn't get a belt. She's not even a white belt. But that's what I'm saying. Like, like, <laughs> come on. It's her first Cody day Garbrandt. at the gym. It's a free. It's it's a free gym session for Cody her. Garbrandt is her more of a trial. than Brian Ortega. What? Cody I'm sorry, Garbrandt what? is more of a white belt than Brian Ortega. I don't. He think is so. somebody who is really fast and hits hard, and they're like punch, and he's like okay. Well, they both learned how to box from one person each, so that that there's a similarity between them. They, they've each had one boxing coach, and that is how they, they also strike. This they has also... been an episode of the Fight Site panel. Thank you all for joining us. Terrible takes. I was going to say something. Please. Okay, Dan, what are you going to say? I was going to say how I thought Ortega could win, but nah, not, without picking save, him. But save actually save it fight gets we, yeah, It'll happen. Anyway. Gonna, that's how Ortega is going to win. We all had fun today. I hope some of us had fun. Had fun. Except Ben. Ben Ben's, Ben's about to kill all of us. I aged 10 years over this podcast. No, um, no, I did no, not. I am perfectly you young and healthy. Children. None of you can do more than my children. Something That's I it. forgot to talk about when we started was Patreon. <laughs> Very important. The only advertisements that you're learning to hear. Obviously, I wanted to plug the YouTube channel because we're just starting that. But uh, Patreon is how the fight site survives. It's how we make money. It's how we keep our staff engaged. Some of them. So we try to keep our staff engaged. Uh, but basically the way our Patreon is set up is that $3 tier gets you access to all of our exclusive content. It's a lot of me talking. So if, if you like me, you'll like it. If you hate me, maybe you'll learn to like me if you watch all the content. Um, but a lot of commentaries, a lot of analysis via with like attached to video. I do my resume review series. I do alternate commentaries. Uh, every fight card, pretty much. Uh, Shriram and I do commentaries and put the video up there uh there's a lot there's a lot of content back there and we're going to keep keep adding more uh the five dollar tier will get you into our discord server that's a cool place with a lot of weirdos so if you're a weirdo who liked this if you're still listening at this point you're you're a freaking psycho and you should definitely be in our discord server um so that's there's some incentive for you ten dollar tier is a podcast topic request not like a two-hour episode like this but something significant we'll definitely talk about your question and then all tiers above that are for custom content, like an article, a breakdown, like a video breakdown, or, or like a commentary video, what have you. You can come up with something creative if, if you'd like, if you give us enough money. Uh, we have some insane suggestions coming up that we need to tailor. Uh, I'm, you're you're going to see. That's going to be on Patreon. Uh, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff coming up there. Is there we'll anything else to advertise? We'll do everything for money. We'll do anything for money. We'll do anything for money. Just pay us money. We'll do stuff. <laughs> anything no you want Ben to twerk he'll twerk just pay him we'll do money. that for free I did that oh he does that I for free that for I did oh, that's that Ben's clout. thing he'll do it naked if you pay him money that's the thing <laughs> subscribe to my only fans. so that's it the end any other advertisements boys uh, uh the new fight site uh, presents YouTube channel that's what you're watching this on we're listening subscribe. on the podcast app Subscribe. And we'll see you all in hell. Subscribe, hit the bell icon, and like the video. Share it. It really does help us out. Expect the return of Tengridon podcast, where I actually speak about the things that I actually wanted to say on this thing. 
He's being put in a box for killing his creativity. All right. Yeah. Right, we got it. We got it in the shit. Goodbye.